Hey, everybody. Welcome to Listen Money Matters. Success is never owned. It is only rented, and the rent is due every day. My name is Thomas, and I'm here, as always, with Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and what are you drinking this morning, man? Dude, I'm great, man. It is beautiful outside, uh, and it is not so hot that I haven't had to put air conditioners in yet. Nice. Drinking, I have... Uh, an amazing River Horse Baltic Porter aged in Peruvian rum barrels. And, and it's also a small batch. I was so excited. It says 373 out of 2132. So I'm like one of a small group of people that is tasting this damn good beer. So what is that, like a $40 bomber? No, no. It was like, uh, <laughs> like $15 maybe. It really wasn't that bad. Oh, that's not too bad. I am uh, going with Canadian today. I have Molson Canadian beer. Nice. Because I just tried it out. I'm just like, I'm working my way to the import section. Uh, the big grocery store I go to doesn't have my favorite Japanese beer. So what's a guy to do except for go to Canadian beer, right? Seriously, I was going to say, if there's no Japanese beer, you <laughs> obviously default to Canadian beer. Exactly, right? <laughs> They're very similar in culture, in location, you know, pretty much the same thing. Basically. <laughs> Grizzly bears and and island nations, you know. <laughs> anyway, today's catchphrase comes to us from, and I'm going to butcher this Twitter name, Genly Accepted. It's like G-E-N underscore L-E-E Accepted it, it's on like, Twitter. It's like the dude's name is Lee Accepted, and he became a general in the army. So now he's just <laughs> generally accepted. So clever. Yeah, I guess so. so. And the, I think the quote is actually from Rory Vaden. I don't know who that is, but it sounds like a pretty good quote. Sounds reasonable enough, right? Yeah. Cool. Well, hey, guys, if you have questions or uh, you have catchphrases you want to have us read on the show, you can send them over to us on Twitter at Money Matters Man or at List of Money Matters on Facebook. And today we're talking to Benjamin Miller, who is the CEO of a company called Fundrise, which is attempting to mix the crowdfunding model with real estate investment. So that's pretty cool. Welcome to the show, Ben. How you guys doing? Hey, doing pretty good, man. So this is going to be a very interesting show. I'm not, I'm not drinking any beer, though. That's the problem. Well, well, we need to rectify that situation. Yeah, why don't you grab a beer, man? <laughs> I should. Okay, well, I don't know if I have beer, but I think I have, uh, like, some, somebody gave us, like, some vermouth or something for, for, for Christmas. Just get some ice in there. Yeah, delicious. It, yeah, Wait, man. Do you drink straight vermouth? <laughs> Like, is that a no, thing that you... I don't think it is. Or maybe it's Prosecco or something. Okay. <laughs> I'd rather have... Yeah, I've never heard of that. Because it would be pretty sweet, wouldn't it? Like, like overly sweet. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't like it. I mean... Maybe you got to have to like, dry or something. I even <laughs> think Japanese beer is too sweet. So I'm not so sure about this Prosecco idea. Mm. <laughs> so, Ben, um, I, I want to get into some, like, deep... Uh, real estate investing stuff because you kind of know a lot in that you funded like millions and millions of dollars of investments in real estate. But uh, tell us a little about Fundrise because you kind of created this real estate investing model that didn't exist yet. Yeah, yeah. So we were the first crazy people to do this idea. Uh, you look so crazy. I, so. Yeah, it was, people thought it was crazy. It's funny because when we first did it, which was four years ago, People said we were crazy. And then about like two years ago, people told me we were, it was novel. And now <laughs> people tell me it's obvious. I, I love that. I love when it went from crazy to obvious in a couple, it's like maybe two or three years. So uh, the sticking point is that you just didn't do a good job through the entire spectrum of like novel, obvious. You're just like, dude, come <laughs> on. Yeah, Pull your own I mean, weight. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I understand. Like a real estate guy, you know, I mean, like they they they're used to having like one part. They say, I'd rather have one partner write a check for like ten million dollars than have like ten thousand people write a check for a thousand dollars. And I'm like, no, no, no. He's, you got it backwards. You're always better having more investors than having one. That one investor basically owns you. Mm-hmm. And 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 we we like we like to say, you know, the person who writes the check makes the decision. And and the idea of actually like like pushing the power down to many people, it, I think there's a lot of uh, good things that happen from that. So, um, from my understanding, Fundrise, like you had, like there might be some building in Manhattan that wants to go up, and it's like you know a hundred million dollars to make, um, and there's not an individual person that's gonna put a hundred million dollars in, or better yet, you're just like, hey, let's just go to the crowd, and everyone can own like a small piece of this building. Um, are there a lot of people that want to go in, and, and why would you want to go into corporate real estate? Yeah, so so I mean the 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 basic premise is that like commercial real estate, so you're like like a skyscraper or like apartment building. So that asset class has outperformed like pretty much every other asset class in America for like thirty years. It's like better like if you invested in commercial real estate, you did better than stocks or bonds, commodities, and it's generally why, not an, why do you think that is? Why did it outperform? I don't actually think I know why it outperformed. I'm not. I, I know about commercial real estate. I do not know that much about like stocks and bonds, so I can't tell you. I mean, why it was. It had a lot to do with. Um, uh, I mean, there's something called cap rates or how real estate's price is priced on yield. And over the last thirty years, the you know yields have been coming down, which has made the real estate industry essentially price better. That's not too technical. Well, I was going to say, uh, could you? break down what because cap rate is like if you were buying corporate real estate or you were going to buy like a two-family home to rent or something you would use cap rate to value your investment yeah yeah so so basically when you buy a stock you buy it on um, pe ratio price to earnings Mm -hmm. and that tells you like how expensive it might be yeah you say like okay like there's a 10 pe so basically if there's a million dollars in earnings, I'm paying like ten times that for to, to buy the buy the stock or buy the company. So in, in real estate, prices the opposite. Prices on yield, or so basically, if you said there's a ten percent annual return, right? You know, there's ten percent. If I if, if I put ten million dollars into this property, I would get ten percent or a million dollars a year. So it's just the inverse of, of PE, mm. but all real estate's always priced on yield or priced on 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 on, uh, on the cash flow coming from the property, and they call that the cap rate. So now, is the cap rate applicable to residential real estate as well, or is it only for commercial real estate? Yeah, well, it would be. I mean, it would be applicable to anything that's cash flowing. So anything that's okay. a yield yield based real estate, you'd buy on uh, you'd buy on cap rate or or, or you buy it on cash flow. So it's a little bit like bonds. You'd say like, well, how much, you know, what are you paying for the bond? You're not paying, you know, 5%. So in a sense, that's real estate in a way is kind of a hybrid. You get like the yield like you would on a bond, but if you own it, you can get the appreciation you get from a stock. Okay. So I think one of the things is is like you can have a stock, right? And when we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, and maybe the PE is like 20 Right, and then there's another stock, and the PE is fifty, and another one that's ten, like you suggested, and kind of like what what are the lines of what's good and what's not good? 
So mm-hmm. could you maybe tell us like what cap rates you should look for and maybe with like an example, you yeah, know, like yeah, totally. you know, cost this much and blah, blah, blah. Totally, totally. So um, generally speaking, in real estate, you'd see like a, I'm going to say cap rate. I'm just going to talk about it in terms of like a percent or like a yield. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you'd buy like a, a core New York office building at like a 5% annual yield or annual cap rate. And, and, and even maybe even in some New York places, even below that. So 5% being 20 PE, right? Mm-hmm. But, and then as you get more outside of a core place, like maybe you're in like a Salt Lake City or something, you might be at like a 7 cap rate or 8 cap rate, 8% annual uh, return. And then if you went out to like really secondary or, or like far suburban, you might think that, see some things at 9 or 10% a year. So, so basically, you're probably within a five or ten percent range, uh, depending on sort of how core and how, like, sort of essentially how much how much safety there is in the investment and how much growth. So, the more safety and growth, the lower the the cap rate you'd be willing to pay. Like, so if I, like, mm. you said, I, Apple is the tenant, mm. you'd say, okay, like, I, I would pay. I would say it's very safe, and I, so I'd pay like a lower. I'd be willing to accept a lower. Annual cash flow. If I say I take five percent with Apple. If I, if somebody told me it was like you know, like a few years ago, if it was Borders Books, right? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say, well, I better get a pretty high return. Sounds like I a think, terrible idea. Yeah, sounds like <laughs> yeah. it's basically like they're taking a lot of risk. <laughs> so borders Books never heard of this. <laughs> um, <laughs> the the income is solely derived through rent that you get from tenants, correct? Yeah. So basically, the commercial real estate play is you you make your income from the rent. And then, if the real estate, uh, if the real estate asset appreciates, you you, you also make your you make your uh, sort of your your growth in value also comes from like uh, it's a hard asset. It's like a commodity. Mm-hmm. So if like steel prices go up, uh, then probably the real estate's more valuable. Because if they needed to, they could scrap it for the value of the steel. Basically, no. I mean, the the, the, the basically there's two ways to look at real estate. You look at it. Uh, on a cash flow basis, or like I'm buying it on yield. Like, so I would love to take 10% a year from this asset. That's a good a yield on a real estate deal. Mm-hmm. And then you say, okay, but like, what if somebody builds like another apartment building across the street? Mm. If they're going to build another apartment building across the street, like, obviously that's going to be bad for me because the guy who's going to live in my building now is going to live across the street because they have lower rents. So I got to lower my rents basically to be competitive. So the prices okay. of steel affect building that much that if they're high, like people are just not building? No. Well, what, what happens is so they call it the replacement cost. So basically, mm-hmm. let's say it costs me like $10 million to build a building, and somebody who's going to build the exact same building across the street, it would cost him $20 million because To make the same that you're To making. make the same building, to replace okay. that building with steel and labor and drywall and all the stuff that goes into a building. Then you right. say, okay, well – I'd rather buy this building at ten million than have to build a new building at twenty million. And so then you can rent it out for cheaper, right? You rent it out for cheaper, yeah. Okay. A a lot of times when you're when you're buying a building or you're or you're looking at a piece of real estate, you want to say, what's the price per pound here? Right? What am I buying? Uh, You know, it's almost like you know. Let's say you were you were looking at a house in a neighborhood in Phoenix, right? And Mm -hmm. somebody said like. Oh, you can get like a hundred thousand dollars a year in rent from this property, mm. and you got to pay ten million dollars for that house. You're going to get ten percent a year. Okay. 
And you said, but somebody else said, but yeah, but I can buy, like, I can build another house across the street because there's all this land in Phoenix for, for 500 grand. Mm. I don't care if I'm getting a hundred thousand dollars a year on this ten million dollar pro- property. It's not worth ten million dollars. It's only worth probably five hundred thousand dollars because there's like a, a, I could replace that same house and and move that renter across the street and give him a lot okay. lower rent. So you basically need to look at both like your your sort of your price per square foot, your price per pound, right. and also the, the the annual rent or yield coming out of the deal. Hmm. So I'm guessing that means that replacement costs are going to be. Um, much more in line with actual purchase costs in crowded areas just because there's not much room to build new stuff. Right. So that's why people like to buy in like New York or San Francisco because essentially you're, you're so supply constrained. There's so little opportunities to build new buildings that it's really unlikely someone's going to be able to build another house or another building across the street and kill your economics. But in like in 2007, 2006, people were building out in the suburbs. You could go out to like two hours outside Phoenix or three hours outside Los Angeles. And they would build these huge, like, you know, you know housing complexes with like a thousand homes. Really? And the, and the reality was that those homes, you know, people may have been buying them for $500,000 a house. But the replacement cost, you know, you could go across the street to some like, piece of desert and build another house for a hundred grand. And huh. so, so basically like the people were overpaying and, 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 and those houses in the suburbs, you know, or, or those buildings, those strip malls in the middle of nowhere just died because, because there was just so, there was so much oversupply in the market. So that's why Phoenix like crashed hardcore in 2008 while New York took like a, a dip, but, Right, right. So, I mean, you, there's certain markets that are famous for sort of boom-bust cycles because they're just not – it's so easy to build. It's so easy to build in Houston and Phoenix and Atlanta. And so you see uh, – uh, so, anyway, so imagine if you think about it. Let's say there's 10,000 new people who live in a, neighbor, in, in a city. Like 10,000 people move to Atlanta and want to live in Atlanta. Mm. And that's going to cause like, you know, more demand for housing, which then would be more rents. But if then basically all these real estate companies build 20,000 new apartments because they're like, oh, well, I'll get some of that 10,000 and then just oversupply the market, then basically rents, instead of going up, actually go down. So who's funding mm-hmm. these things? Like, are they not? I mean, this is must be some sort of common knowledge in, in the circles you move in because uh, like if Phoenix has boom and busted multiple times, it, I don't know. Are they crazy? Um. I mean, the problem is that, you know, you have 10 or 20 or 100 different actors all seeing the same opportunity and all going after it at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so unlike, you know, let's say like, uh, like my business, like, which is real estate crowdfunding, like I believe that people over time will get used to investing in commercial real estate through the Internet. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to see that, it's a, that there's good economics in it, that that there's like, I mean, it, that it'll work for, for people and, and a lot of people will start to do it. But is there room for a hundred real estate crowdfunding sites on the internet? You know, probably not. Right. And maybe there's room for three or, or one. Mm. Um, but with, with real estate, you know, you, you build a thousand buildings, like they're not going to go away. Like, mm-hmm. like the crowdfunding sites are like, you know, pets.com and all the other co- companies that competed with Amazon, like they went away. 
with the houses and the buildings and the office, you know, offices that people build going after the same opportunity, those stay in the market. So even if the guy goes belly up, someone comes in and gets a sweet deal. Yeah. And so then what ends up happening is that it takes a lot longer for the demand to kind of like catch back up with the oversupply. Mm-hmm. And, and so you have like, uh, that's why it just goes bust in like Oklahoma because mm-hmm. bust in like in the eighties because they were just an like oversupply of, of lots of stuff. And, and so that's, it's a really important dynamic when you're looking at investing in, in, in any kind of real estate. So these individual investors and developers <laughs> can't really see the greater macroeconomics of the situation until it's too late, basically. I mean, and that's, I'm not just talking about with like, you know, you're an individual putting $10,000 into something. I mean, it, that happens with like Goldman Sachs, like Lehman Brothers went bankrupt and they had like half a trillion dollars of investments and they still missed it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, I mean, it just, it happens with to the biggest and smallest investors. It's very, very difficult to see the trends because, you know, you'll put it, you'll, you'll start building a building. Let's say you're building a building and everything looks good. And you basically, from when you start building a building to when you basically are, are fully stabilized and everything is working out and you're getting cash flow, it could be like two or three years. Mm-hmm. So you could start building that building in year one and then a hundred other people could start building buildings just like yours in year two. But you are already building a building. You can't stop building that building. Mm. Right. So, so, so there's nothing you can do if a hundred people come in after you and start building more buildings too. Unless you're in a place like New York or San Francisco where basically that's impossible. So to take this down to like a really small level, you know, you say you're just buying a home. Um, is it like more risky to buy a home and say somewhere not to pick on thomas but somewhere like iowa where there's plenty of land as opposed to buying something in new york where they're not really like the supply is what it is um i mean it's, there's a i say iowa would probably be not that risky just because there's not that much um headiness in 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 the real estate communities what do you mean like, by headiness that there's not a in, in Iowa a lot of a lot of kind of midwestern um, states there's a, there's a much more grounded approach towards towards growth where in the southeast and and Florida they just there's just like this southeast Florida and southwest so Phoenix and Arizona you know I mean there's basically a culture of of boom and bust that you don't really see in mm-hmm. Iowa so there's there's a cultural mm-hmm. dynamics going on here too but generally speaking yeah there's less risk in core markets that are harder to build. Uh, and so, yeah, if you were to buy a home in Brooklyn and you were to buy a home in Iowa and you were to pay like, you know, let's see, a, a, sort of a decent price, mm. that price should be more resilient in, in uh, um, a market that, that, you know, you're not going to see a lot of supply put on the market. In a in a in a dense neighborhood. So you're saying something like uh, an investment in Iowa would be more resilient in that it wouldn't fluctuate so much. Where New York, maybe there's speculators and yeah. Th- well, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if there's your supply constrained in New York, so um, what would I mean? Generally, people like to invest in New York more than Iowa. Uh, I think for a good reason and a bad reason. A good reason is there's just more growth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, New York's just going to see more growth than Iowa. The bad reason is, is that's where the money is, so that's what they know, and people invest in what they know. Mm. And so there's a bias against places that they, I mean... So you'd actually do, say that there's, 
plenty of opportunity elsewhere, but people are unwilling to leave like their New York and what they know, where Definitely. like there could be the potential for a, a great investments in Iowa. They're just not going so there. So yes. you're saying that I could become the next great real estate investor in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that there's a really interesting opportunity for the local to make a local investment. I, mm. I, I would say you probably in an Iowa type investment, you get less growth. Like you're probably not mm. going to see explosive growth. Like in, in New York, you can just, you could sometimes you could just you can make a lot more money, right? Explosive growth, meaning like to flip, like you buy, value buy, goes up and you sell. Yeah, value just goes up. Like you buy in Bushwick, which is in Brooklyn, and then like mm. it's just all these hipsters move in and new restaurants <laughs> and all of a sudden it's worth a lot more. Uh, but but that's a disadvantage, right? That obviously Iowa doesn't have the same amount of growth, but you also have less risk because basically I, generally these markets like the Iowa's or the Boise's or just go to, to, to these markets that are, they're steady Eddie. So you probably, so they're generally safer. So you're going to make less money, but you're going to, your money's going to be less volatile. And like, you'll get a consistent rent type thing. Like it'll just be, it'll be churning at what you expect as opposed yeah. to these markets, like all throughout the Midwest, basically don't go up a lot, but they don't go down a lot either. Hmm. Sounds like all I'm going to do is just, write a blog and encourage some hipsters to move over here after I've purchased my real estate. That's what, that's how you make a lot of money. Well, you, you already know, have I mean, a blog, Thomas. So I think a lot just... of people are actually moving to Des Moines and it's, it's getting a lot of good press. So maybe there is an opportunity there. Who knows? <laughs> so here, here's the thing. So, um, my understanding of, uh, like real estate investing, uh, on the small scale, like you buy a home and, um, you you leverage up so uh, and, and if I understand it correctly, your cap rate then goes up dramatically. So if you have a hundred thousand dollar home and you only have to put twenty thousand dollars down, you actually have like five times the return than if you just put the full hundred thousand dollars down. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, this is this is where it gets complicated because basically, real estate is so much driven by by leverage or by by debt. Mm-hmm. That you 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 it's 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 like a, I mean it's the agony and the ecstasy of real estate because you add so much risk right I mean if you if you add five times leverage like you just described you know you only need the market to change twenty percent to get wiped out right mm-hmm. so a little bit of volatility can wipe you out but it also gears or multiplies your returns it wouldn't it wouldn't multiply it by five percent if you want to think about it simply right let's do it if you have because you're going to pay your bank interest. Mm -hmm. So if you're paying your bank 5% and the property is getting 10% a year, right? You basically, and you had 50% leverage, you'd pay essentially half of the 10% on the 50% to the bank. So you basically go from, you basically increase your return by 50%. I mean, but for simplicity's sake, you, you get, you definitely multiply your return, but it's not, well, it's not one to one because you're obviously paying interest. So I, I'm kind of like maybe walking down this road where I'm going to buy a home and I'm going to leverage up. And you know, if I buy something and I, I rent it out, you know, I could I could amp my returns. But if I was to go, um, not not to like just shoot you in the foot, but if I was to go through Fundrise, I can't leverage through debt, right? I'm only I'm giving you a thousand dollars and I own a thousand dollars, so. Gen- okay. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. So generally, 
there, 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 there are really two ways to invest in real estate. You can be a lender. You can loan money to a real estate deal, and you'd be the bank effectively. Or you can invest basically in the in the equity, and mm. and and most of our deals were were we are in the equity as either basically preferred equity or like you might call it mes equity. But mm. there's usually a bank in the deal, so we are, are we are inherently leveraging our position. There's almost no major commercial real estate deal that doesn't have a lender. It's very, very unusual. And so that, you know, so if it, I invested through Fundrise a thousand dollars, I I like through I inherit the leverage that you guys are pulling. Yeah, so you don't take any personal risk like you would if you buy a home. You're gonna mm. when you buy a home, you're guaranteeing the, the debt, but the, you're you are leveraging your investment. I mean, it's it's a little bit like a company. You know, a lot of corporations out there have, you know, have, have debt, and that gives you better dividend. And mm-hmm. so uh, on, on Fundrise, like you may have a, a real estate deal, like take a deal. We bought a, 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 an office building in Santa Monica. It was a $25 million office building. There was, uh, um, there was $16 million of, of debt at, at like 4.5% interest rate. Mm. And so what happens was, you know, we are getting 12% return because we lever, you know, we took the, we, you know, we, the property might've been a, um, you know, a 7% or 6% total return, but by mm. getting some debt, the bank gets 4% and we get 12. Mm. So, and that's how we, that's normally how you, in, in commercial real estate, you get to a, 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 a double digit return is by buying something at a, at a, and adding debt, which basically amplifies your your return and increases your risk. So, can you explain to me why that happens? Like, why adding debt to an asset you own would increase the rate of return? Yeah, I mean, basically, if you think about like uh, you know a, a ten million dollar real estate deal, right? If you bought it at a ten percent return, you put all ten million dollars in, you get ten percent a year. If you okay. buy it with five million dollars in debt and five million dollars in, in in equity, or five million dollar down payment, right? You mm. put in a kind of residential terms. You, if you pay the bank five percent, right, on that five million, you're only paying them. Uh, I think that's two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Right? Okay. Right. You're getting ten percent right. on on ten million, which is a million dollars a year. Okay. And you pay the bank two fifty, so you're getting seven fifty. So just okay. summarize that again. So you have ten million dollar deal. You're getting ten percent a year, which is a million dollars. Yeah. You give half. You you only had to put up half the money, but you're getting three quarters of the return. Okay. Maybe maybe another way to look at it is like the the like you you have to look at like the return on your individual investment. So if you put ten million dollars in and you made a million dollars, you do one million divided by ten million, and that's so like your, your rate of return. But if you only put five million in and you got seven fifty back, you would do seven hundred and fifty thousand divided by five million. Okay, and it's so just I'm like making, a much higher percentage. I'm making more than ten percent even after I'm paying the bank their interest. Because you're basically you're because taking I the money from the bank at like a really okay. cheap rate and you're earning so much more on that than what it costs to pay the bank, I guess. Okay, gotcha. Right. And that's why, you know, so with like the Federal Reserve has this policy that keeps interest rates low. That's really good for for real estate investing because you can borrow at a really low rate 
mm. and take a real estate deal that may be making a 5% return or 7% return. And, and if you own the equity, you probably are making like a 10 or 15% return because you can borrow from the bank at 3 or 4 or 5%. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, let me ask you, are you, do you live in New York? Are you in the area? Um, no, I'm in D.C. We have an office in New York, too. Okay, but I'm sure you're really familiar with New York real estate because I'm sure a lot of your business comes from there. Um, I, I'm in Hoboken, so like mm-hmm. I'm sure you're familiar as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, prices are like shooting through the roof, right? They're just like real. They're growing like incredibly fast, and things are right. becoming very expensive. Do you see this as a time where, because interest rates have been so low, people are overeating? on these things and they're like artificially high or do you feel that this growth that we're seeing in real estate is actually like sustain like it's like a legit uh yeah (laughs) that's the that that's not even the million dollar question that's like the hundred billion dollar question well let's make this audience a hundred billion dollars what do you think yeah yeah well so i mean (laughs) i mean the, the the there's two different ways you can approach that question. One is to figure out what you think the answer is and basically make that bet around it. The other mm-hmm. way you can do it is basically, you know, not all things are moving equally. So you find deals that basically have value. Maybe they're mispriced, they're, they're too cheap, somebody's selling it too cheap, or somebody didn't realize that you could, you know, renovate it and, and upscale it. So, you, so another way to do it is say, like, well, I don't know what's going to happen in the market. But there are de- there are real estate deals that that you can create value, and whether or not the market's overpriced, you can still make money. Mm. And so, mm. so that we might call that like a, a value investor, essentially. And and that's generally our approach. Is I I, I just have no idea uh, if the Federal Reserve is going to cause like inflation, deflation, or if nothing's going to happen. Like I do, but I can we can look at a real estate deal in a neighborhood. And say this is a good deal. This is well priced. There's a really good development plan here. Like this makes sense. So I really resonate with the the value investing, and that's kind of like what our people uh, uh, agree with. Like, so does Fundrise like focus on things like that, or is yes. it mostly you pull in the opportunities, and then it's up to the person who visits Fundrise to to properly choose? No, so our model is different than probably everybody else, and and that is that um, we have a really strong point of view about what the right investment is, and and so let's say we see a deal in Santa Monica or Hoboken, and you know, for one thing, finding good deals is very difficult. I mean, we'll we have like a dozen people all around the country looking at real estate deals, and we'll look at like hundreds and hundreds of deals, and so finding a deal is hard. Then basically you have to like go into the details of it and make sure because usually when somebody brings you something, it's there's a lot of smoke and a lot of like hyperbole, mm. and you can't yeah. believe it. Especially in the real estate industry, like nine or nine out of a hundred is like it's is like puffing up the deal. So you have to get into it, which they call underwriting. And the third thing, then you need to negotiate a deal with with. I mean, there's a negotiation. There's like a a, a fight for getting people a good deal. And at the end of that, let's say in Santa Monica, at the end of that, that, that you know, find the deal, underwrite it, negotiate it, we'll write a check for $4 million mm. and, and close the deal. And then after closing the deal and writing a check for millions of dollars, we will, we will offer it to the investor on the internet after that, but not before. Okay. 
Hmm. So, so you so, own the equity at that point. Yeah. So the reason we're doing that, we don't take a spread, we don't mark it up, but we, you can't negotiate a good deal if you're not going to write the check when they need the check. You can't wait right. for hmm. you know, a thousand people to show up. That does not work in real estate. Right. You can't, if, if I were to say to you, hey, I'll give you the money, but I'm not sure it'll show up and I hope it shows up in the next 30 days, you're going you're gonna to give me a much worse deal. So basically, all, all, all the people investing through Fundrise are riding on our ability to, I mean, our, our ability to write, you know, 10, 20, 30 million dollar checks. And they're, they're getting that power really without, I mean, without having to have that money or, or, or even pay for it. We're, that's an advantage of investing through us. Okay. So and it's strong, not like yeah. Kickstarter where it's like, hey, yeah. we have a product and we're not going to make it until we get the funding. Like, we're going to yeah. fund this if we think it's good. And then you guys help us get our money back, basically. And then you'll get a return as well. Yeah. So, like, I, I'll give you an example. A, a developer came to us in Seattle. He had a deal. It was a core, 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 right in the middle of Seattle, an apartment building. It was really just a great deal. It was probably one in a thousand. And he needed to, he needed to close in like eight days. Mm. And we looked at that deal. We got our arms around it. We had an office in Seattle, and we wrote a check. I think of a million and a half dollars in with eight days of doing the work, and we got it. I think a sixteen percent return for being a senior lender. We were the okay. senior lender, and we charged him sixteen percent. And then every and then we reoffered it. And then we offered it basically through us on the site, and everybody who invested basically got that return. Mm. How many people who are investors could could find that deal? Underwriting negotiate million yeah. dollar check in eight days, probably like almost none. They get that advantage by by being a user of our site. So I'm I'm sorry. Okay. So uh, you you buy this building, right? And then you're like you offer it up to your to your community on Fundrise, and they could buy in. Basically, they're buying the equity from you, and they own a, a fractional share. Why do you do this? Like, what what benefit? How do you guys make money? I mean, there must be some, like, right? Like, as an investor in, with Fundrise, I get uh, access to these deals, but it has to cost me something. Yeah, so uh, we make money on two sides of the marketplace. So that we charge the real estate company who comes to us for money. We charge them 1% to 2% origination fee. So if we put a million dollars in, we may charge them ten or 20000 mm. And we charge the investor, like, in investment management fee or an asset management fee. So just like you put your money with Merrill Lynch or you put your money with, you know, whoever, a private equity fund, they're, they're, they're charging you to manage, to manage the money. We charge uh, one third to one half of a percent a year. So very, very normally an investor would pay one to 2%. And so, you know, a year, that's probably normally what they pay 1% for stocks and bonds and 2% for a, a real estate asset like what we're doing. So our fees are much, much lower. Um, okay. And I think our proposition is, is, is once people understand what they're getting, I think the proposition is very compelling. Yeah. So, so basically if I'm like Warren Buffett, I've got a ton of money and somehow I was able to find the same deal and underwrite it the same exact way. I would make one half to one third of a percent more than I would make going to you guys. Yes. But because I'm not Warren Buffett, because I don't know anything about the real estate market, you know, that seems like a pretty good deal. And those, you know, that management fee is pretty close to what you're going to get with like Vanguard or, you know, anything else like in the mutual fund market on the right. maybe not like the total stock 
end of it, but the average fund is usually what, like 0.3, management fee? Right. We, so we like to think of ourselves like the vanguard of private real estate. It's going, once people understand that's what we're doing. I, I like how you did that right there. <laughs> I, I think you just you just coined it right now. Is that <laughs> no? no that's I, actually, I think I coined it last night. But, but it's 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 you're basically taking an asset class. So re- commercial real estate is a ten trillion dollar asset class. So it's mm. about the same size as the stock market. And most people do not have any investments in this asset class. Maybe they have three or four percent of their portfolio. Mm. And and I think yeah. that over the next you know few few years that's going to start to change. And if they can get into it in a, in, a, in a way that has low fees, transparency, you know, alignment of interests, then, you know, I, I, mean, I, I think it's just a good mousetrap. Look, the yield uh, is very exciting. Um, but I, I think the, the one concern I would have is what does the liquidity look like? Like, do I go into this deal and then for the next 50 years, I am married to Fundrise? Our, our, deal, there's, our deals are structured like um, mostly like a note. So there's a maturity. Mm-hmm. So you might say like, so we had like, you know, there's like the deal in, C- in Seattle, I think it was an 18 month note. And so there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a term and when the, the it has to get liquid. Mm-hmm. And that's something we added. We, we, we learned over time that um, most of our investors wanted to have a fairly short term horizon, you know? And so we're, we're probably at a, about a two year, average uh horizon or maturity on the kind of investments we make okay and that makes sense because you know you're not getting the whole building you can't select <laughs> your name up on it you're just getting one one thousandth the deal so the liquidity is definitely something that i would want personally if i was going into this yeah people people the individual investor is is not a long-term investor that's mm-hmm. just what we've learned i mean that most of my investors before i had like insurance companies and and um those they are very long-term investors, and so there's advantages. I mean, as, you know, we were the first people ever crowdfund a real estate deal, and 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 we learned that the, the online investor looking for fairly short-term gratification. <laughs> so, what happens when when this um, like bond, for lack of another term, you know, uh, what what happens when it matures in two years? Like, do you then open it up for other people to buy into the building? Does it just turn out that after everyone gets their cut for two years, you guys own the building? No, no. So we're normally, we don't, we're normally not the owner. We're the, like, you might think of us as a fund manager. There's, mm-hmm. there's usually a, a, a developer or a, they call it a sponsor or a real estate company who's the, who's the manager and owner of the, of the property. And we're sort of like the, we're big brother. You're like the lender. Yeah. Like a yeah, bank. We're, mm. we're, we're like a bank or we're like a fund. So I mean, you're like, more like lending club than yeah. like a real estate investor in a sense. Yeah, we're, we're not, you know, we're not the owner of the property. We are a, 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 a fund source to the property. I mean, it, more, I mean, more like uh, I'm trying to think of, uh, of a, a well-known like Blackstone, mm. you know, anything about Blackstone or they're, 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 they're usually not going to be the operator of the property. There's going to be an operating partner mm-hmm. who's, who's like the expert in Boise, right? There's a, you know, we're not an expert in Boise. You find in Boise, there's probably five real estate guys who are the guys you want to partner with. And that's it, five. Mm-hmm. And, and you find those five guys and that's who you work with. And so, so that's, and then and where our deal would work with them is they like, okay, let's just say it's two years or three years from now. Like three years from now, you're going to give us our money back or we're going to sell the building. Right. 
Gotcha. Okay. So if I am average 23-year-old Joe Schmo, can I get into this? Or is it currently limited to a certain, you know, like accredited investors or like certain amount of net capital, that kind of thing? We've done both, which I okay. also think is very unusual. Uh, we have a lot of investments are available only to high net worth investors, which is basically how the regulations are designed. Okay. And we've also done deals where we get the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, to sign off or qualify one of our investments, and then anybody can mm. invest in it. You don't have to be really? high net worth. This is a per deal thing. It's not like yeah. a blanket, you need to be or you can. No, there's no blanket thing, but it, but it, I mean, as you can imagine, it was no small undertaking to do that with the SEC over and over again. Mm. Yeah. But it, but it, I mean, it's part of our philosophy that it, it shouldn't be limited to just people who have a million dollars. Right. I, I have to say, you've now actually made me excited about it. I mean, I guess I, I know there are people in the audience who are accredited investors and would be very interested, but uh, that's very exciting that you guys actually go through the work so that normal people like Thomas or I could actually buy into some of the deals that uh, you guys create. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I was a real estate developer for 10, 15 years and um, had lots of big capital partners. If I wanted to have big capital partners, why would I go over the internet? Mm. What's the point? I mean, I have to just go to, you know, whatever. I went to, I had GM, General Motors Acceptance Corp wrote us a $100 million check, right? Mm. Yeah. That's, there's economies of scale in that, right? Having a, a high net worth investor write a $5,000 check, like, you know, what's the point of that? I mean, the, the point of the internet is basically to create access. And, and that's, not, that's not limited to high net worth people. Shouldn't be limited to high net worth people. Yeah, it makes sense to me for sure. So I, I have one last question for you. Um, why would I want to go into commercial real estate over just, say, like investing in the S&P? Like, why do I want to niche down so much? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, you, you would, we would want to be a small part of your portfolio. You wouldn't want to go 100% into one asset class. Mm. But, you know, our average yields have been about 13%, 13, 13.5% across 50 plus deals. And so if you're, if it's really a question of like, if you're looking for yield, uh, maybe you have a, a horizon of a couple years, you know, not like day to day, like a day mm. trader. So if you're basically looking at like a midterm investment, looking at yield, and you're not correlated to the volatility in the stock market, right? Stock market can, can fall, you know, 200% or whatever, that's 200 points and 10% in a day. It doesn't really matter in most of our real estate deals. It doesn't affect the real estate. Because your so return will remain static through the course of the deal. Yeah, I mean, whether or not, like, oh, you, know, okay. you live, you live in that, you live in the, one of our buildings. In you know, unless you work on Wall Street, you're probably going to pay your rent, even if the stock market goes down. Yeah, and, and so there's 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 an advantage to basically buying into something that is not co- not necessarily correlated with the stock market, has yield um, that I think is generally you know attractive. I think about thirteen percent general overall yields pretty good um okay so that that's what it means so basically about you know if you're looking for that type of return that type of horizon and something that's not going to be so so just i just when i invest in the stock market i feel like it's like like a a rigged game i don't even understand what's (laughs) going on anymore on wall street Mm. so i don't i don't like i don't like investing in, in stock market today it doesn't feel like it's 
doesn't feel natural anymore. Mm. That's that crazy question for me though. Um, once the deal's done, how static is the yield? Like we talked about the market being volatile <laughs> due to replacement costs. Uh, say you guys, do you guys take that into account and try to make deals in areas where the return's going to likely be static? Oh, I mean, yeah, we're, we, we are, I mean, there's obviously risk, right? There's no such thing as risk-free right. investment, but we are like, we are like aggressive about finding good deals. I mean, a lot of our deals will have personal guarantees from the real estate operator. Mm. Uh, there'll be, you know, deal in Santa Monica. We, we wrote a $4 million check, but the real estate company wrote a $5 million check. And we don't lose dollar one till he's lost all five million dollars. Oh wow! So our our okay. money is basically in a, in a second position in that deal. So we're basically we're insulated from the market by five million dollars in that deal. We always look for a really healthy uh, uh, margin of safety or or equity junior to us to protect our position. So that's what you mean Ooh. when you say senior. Senior meaning that all of the junior people take their losses before you. Yes, yeah, and that's okay. That's our approach. That's not necessarily how everybody does it. We just feel like um, I'd rather make thirteen percent uh, and be in a safer position than make you know eighteen percent and take a lot more risk. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And I guess because you guys have this community and obviously funds within your company, uh, that that's how you get the deals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it's the kind of deal we're focused on. So, so. You, you look for deals where the operator knows the market, you're buying the property with some sort of advantage, and then you negotiate a position that, that you know, I mean, this is a part of that complexity that, that people don't see, but there's so many, there's an 85-page legal document we negotiate with the real estate company mm-hmm. that has so many different in terms around, around what happens if there's problems, uh, what, you know, if you know there's there's something called bad boy guarantees so there's like all sorts of personal recourse if something goes wrong that shouldn't go wrong I mean, there's a lot of complexity in this that we are doing for and on behalf of our investors and and until people really see us perform for years i think that that there's a lot of skepticism so uh, let me ask you, if I was to go on to Fundrise right now, I'm not an accredited investor. Is there something that I could put my money in? Not today, but um, you should sign up. That's what I would say. Sign up for Fundrise. Uh, we have a philosophical view that that's what it's all about. Um, and you can also, I mean, one good thing is... Will you let me know when a deal arrives? Sign up and then we'll let you know. Because hmm. it's, it, it's hard to keep track of everybody. But, but the... Um, you can. It takes a little bit of time for people to understand what the, what this is about. So if you sign up, you can see deals. You can see we, we produce a fifty page underwriting memo for every deal that we personally sign. And this is what this is how we got comfortable. And this is what we signed off on internally. Now you can see it too. So it would be good to get a little bit educated before you before you start thinking about doing a deal. So there's a, so so it's, so it's not without some benefit to sign up now. So if I'm on there. You know, I create an account today, and you know, in five months, you guys find the deal that you're able to make available to someone like me. I'll be the first to know because you're like literally going to email me and tell me, "Hey, Andrew, invest." Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. Cool. So, uh, fundrise.com is where people can go to find it, right? Correct. 
And then, is there any other platforms you want people to connect with you on, like Twitter or anything like that? I mean, we're Fundrise, so my Twitter handle is Ben Millerize. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> nice. And we also had a platform called Popularize, which is a crowdsourcing idea, idea platform for real estate. So I had Popularize, Fundrise, so was, and, our, and our, our corporate parents as Rise companies, so I had, that's why I had to go with Ben Millerize. I, gotcha. I think you'd really get along with generally <laughs> accepted. <laughs> oh, yeah. he's a little more, a little more w- witty than mine. Mine was just like Ben Miller was taken on Twitter, nah. which is you know sh- a big shocker. Yeah, I know. Seriously, that's like why no my one Twitter name is a pun. <laughs> yeah, because like there is no way in heck I'm getting my real name on Twitter. No. Nope. All right, Ben. Well, hey man, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you we'll guys. Get those linked up in the show notes, guys. If you have questions about personal finance, you can email us at listenmoneymatters at gmail dot com. Uh, just to be upfront. Andrew and I are probably on vacation as you listen to this. One of one of us is. So the emails might be a little slower for a little while, but then we'll get back on it. And you can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen and, and leave a review or rating if you like the show. Uh, this week's rating and review comes from Linnell29 on on iTunes. Why did I almost say YouTube? Uh, he's a, you only think much, about man. YouTube. You're That's all I think about. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, best podcast for budget and money matters out there. I have learned so much and have actually turned all my family members onto it. I've taken the advice to heart and I'm now tracking all my expenses on Mint. My sister is doing the same. The best. Thank you for that review. And hey, Ooh. if you want to find our favorite money management resources. Thomas, over did, at, did you know? What's up? Just today. I mean, it, it will change tomorrow probably, but we're number like five in iTunes investing. Dude, I checked what? business this morning and we were like 28 in all business. I should have my eyes, like the picture should be my eyes looking down as I look <laughs> down at Susie Orman, who's below us. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Man, iTunes Eat is so it, Susie. So like, I'm not always, I like have to curb my excitement a little bit, but I do check it when I wake up most mornings and I'm like, yeah, got a new review and now we're doing well. But anyway, yeah, favorite money management resources, <laughs> books, and all sorts of cool stuff is over at listmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. And that's all we got for you. So thanks again for hanging out with us. And we look forward to the next episode. Later, guys. Later, man. All right. Please tell your friends about this show. (laughs) 